0: There's the home screen, and then here's Who's Here. Oh, cool. That's yeah. Nice. So Who's Here is, is listed up there, but
1: I always find it you know, kind of polite to uh, ask the speakers if they want a, a real quick uh, intro, and in particular, um, as you give a quick intro, also uh, explain what your involvement with Uncensored Mouse and or Eternity
0: uh, was at the time. Right. So first, Dave Ulbrich. Thank you this. very much. I was Dave, I was, the, I was the publisher of The Uncensored Mouse, I was a publisher at Malibu for its entire existence until we were, public, until we were purchased by uh, Marvel. So that was my participation. I had to approve the publishing of The Uncensored Mouse and then we had to figure out, try to figure out a way to release this material without getting into legal trouble. Needless to say, we did not do a very good job of that. <laughs>
1: But more about that in just a moment. Yeah,
0: we'll get to
2: that in a second. That's the exciting part.
1: Yeah. Chris?
2: Yeah, um, I'm Chris Alm. I was the editor in chief, and along with Dave and, and Tom and Scott, co founder of Malibu Comics back in the day, I was editor in chief <laughs> all the way through. And Chris is so,
1: so tall, he gets two microphones.
2: That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. And I'm uh, speaking here. Tom, uh, Tom unfortunately couldn't make it, so I'm speaking in favor of Tom. And
3: I'm an Kurler. My involvement with the Uncensored Mouse is hypothetical. Um, I'm the publisher of About Comics a publisher that is still in business unlike some oh man
0: (laughs) what Matt leaves out is he publishes just a giant ton of really smart really cool um, public domain comics and so I thought his expertise in being successful in this area would be useful
1: so so, uh, my first question I mean I uh, I, I thought when Dave came up and he said, "Why don't we do a panel on?" I thought yeah, that actually sounds like a, a great panel. It's very interesting. Um, I'm, I'm an intellectual property attorney, and anytime you deal with issues like, public are you getting introduce yourself? Oh, hi, uh, Michael Lovitz, intellectual property attorney. <laughs> um, I do the comic book law school panels here at Comic Con each year. For this is year 26. Wow. Wow. Uh, more than half the more than half the time, the cons are going this. I finally crossed over into the over 50%. And and I also uh, do the similar panel at WonderCon, and that's where Dave came up and said, hey, what do you think of uh, this for a panel? I'm like, well, that's kind of cool. We get to talk about copyrights, public domain, and uh, trademark issues, and... and, uh, Litigation uh, stuff that may arise, cease and desist, things like yeah. that. So, you know, from a lawyer's perspective, I'm like, this is great, but you know. The
0: funded wanna... adventure of <laughs> cease and desist? I
1: don't, don't want to talk for an hour about that. So, <laughs> so uh, instead, I want to kind of uh, throw some softball off to the panel. So, I'm going to start out with this one. So, what went wrong?
0: <laughs> well, i am going to qualify. I'm, I'm going to cir- circle around back to that. Cause I want to show the entertainment tonight. No, but,
1: the, but that question is the one where you suddenly have this cutaway, and it says six hours later, <laughs> and we're a back, and he's still coming. Yeah. No, so the first question before before we get to your video, first question is: Are people aware of, of the uncensored mouse? And this, this of course, are the, the two issues uh, that were published. Um, Thank you. That that matters to be published. And it was was a series that was originally planned to be how long?
0: Well, here's the thing, Um, and I'll I'll look it up on my phone while you guys talk later, but um, we knew pretty much that we were probably going to be contacted by Disney. (laughs) So we solicited issues one and two for the same month. That's right. To wait and sort of see what happened, see what would happen when it got released, and then we skipped a month. And then we are going to release two more, like, so I was going to do two, skip them on, do two. And we were going to do them until we ran out of strips. Right, and, so, and that, that could have taken a, <laughs> a little while. Yeah. little <laughs> well, while. at least six. Yeah, right. I think we were, we're going to get at least six issues out of it. Oh, okay, it. yeah. Um, and we ended up making some money, but, uh, yeah, so that, that was sort of the deal. But we wanted to get both of them out as quickly as possible so that if we were going to get action, we'd already have two in the wind. Yeah. All right, so Dave, give us a little background. Let's see if Mary Hart can help me out here. Mary. You are. Oops. Is that going to start up? I hope so. You had a gone before. I know. Sorry. Sorry tap
4: the screen, please? <laughs> 1930s, originally published in newspapers shortly after Mickey became a big hit in movies. A lot of customers come in and expect to see something um, really outlandish, and what they see is is Mickey uh, is not the uh, not the, the real Saffron kind of bland character that they're used to, but I that Mickey. What they're seeing instead is a Mickey involved in various scenes depicting violence and and racial stereotypes. You (laughs) see Mickey with a gun, shooting (laughs) unsuspecting animals for food. You see Mickey at one point being chased by cannibals who are very, very stereotyped. Illustrators working under Walt Disney are generally credited with the ideas of the artwork in the comic strip, but some collectors say the Mickey of the 30s was simply. Of, his time. of course, the scripts of the 1930s were much more quality anyway, with ethnic stereotypes and very slapstick violence. And when Walt decided to come up with a comic strip, he followed those examples. But that's a long way from Mickey Mouse now, The mouse who serves as the corporate trademark of the huge Disney corporation and whose image is worth millions. Publishers of the uncensored mouse are believed to be operating. Uncertainty as to whether they'll be able to continue distributing the book has piqued the interest of collectors. Once we're sold out,
1: issues came yeah. out yeah so that was very interesting the commentary from the store owner saying well, you know we'll sell it at whatever price yeah we're going to sell we'll So,
0: yeah and uh yeah it went up to 20 or 25 bucks for each one at some point i think the highest i ever saw was 30 dollars for number one and like 20 or 25 for number two yeah. and i just bought copies again for myself at cover price mm-hmm. so if you shop at the right place you can still get them for 250 or three bucks what was the what was the print run that we actually hit? hit did you remember? It was like fifteen thousand or something? Yeah, it was it was north of fifteen, but under twenty, I think. Because yeah. I know we made, um, I know we, we did a nice bit of business on it, um, and Disney never sued us. Actually, they just said us a cease and desist. And then so we went over our options with our lawyer and decided, yeah, we're not going to do that anymore. And then
1: let's take this, let's take us through this a little bit. So okay, so let's talk about the genesis of the project. So okay, someone came to you and said, "Hey, Dave, Dave, I got this great idea. Right, here's how we can make some money."
0: All right. So, as Chris was likely rightly right pointing out, we had been in this business for quite a while. We want to talk about. And, yeah, and, we've we'd been doing, we'd
2: working with uh, the different people to do PD strips for a long time. So we did Charlie Chan and we did... Um, sure, should should yeah. Yeah. And it was just really kind of great to bring these historical uh, strips back out to the, to, to the marketplace. And we, the same people that we were working with on these other strips brought up that they have these Mickey Mouse strips that were somehow had fallen into the public domain. And we didn't believe it at first. I remember having to go round and round about whether yeah. it was real. Yeah, yeah. And then it was, and then we had to have a breakfast meeting over whether we should proceed or not. Yeah, people okay. understands understand
3: that uh, things copyrighted in the 1930s aren't inherently in the public domain, but you, but back then you had to renew yeah. right. your copyright uh, after a number of years. And if you failed to do that, then the material fell into the public domain.
1: Right, so under the 1909 Act, which was in place at the time these, these particular script, strips uh, were originally printed. Original. Uh, the 1909 Act gave you protection for 28 years, assuming that you put copyright notice on it and that you filed your copyright registration within X number of years of that registration. Uh, so as long as you did your lovely little niceties, you got a registration that lasted for 28 years. Um, and that could be renewed for an additional 28 years, but if you didn't renew it, then it entered the public domain because the U.S., unlike the rest of the world, had this renewal system in place different today but at that time you needed to do the renewals and and these Mickey Mouse strips were not alone as being the things that, that did not get renewed there were, there were old, other old classic comic strips some of which you've mentioned that uh, either expired because the 50, 60 years had passed or uh, had earlier expired because they, they never got renewed uh, in, in the first place
2: Yeah, I don't believe those were ever reprinted the Disney uh,
0: strips were ever reprinted anywhere else right? Apart from the original? No, I don't think so. I think this is the only attempt, at least that I'm aware of so far, of somebody trying to bring this—the this stuff that actually is public domain. Nobody wants to fight the Disney for the, the right to try. So after we had that breakfast meeting and decided, okay, let's do it, then the question becomes how. How do you do it with with the giving yourself the best chance to not get into trouble? <laughs> so Michael was pointing out that he thought we are pretty smart. Can you list off the reasons? Why you thought we just like to hear how smart you are? Oh, I do. Are you kidding me? Oh, I live for that. So anyway, those are the covers. So, so, so
1: the thing—the thing that people often forget when it comes to to copyright and trying to reprint things that are in the public domain, uh, Frankenstein, uh, for instance, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, public domain. It's it's over hundred, what almost hundred yeah, years yeah. old at this point. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it entered the public domain long, long ago. And so someone will come along and say, I want to do a comic book based on that book. And once something enters the public domain, all of the rights, all of the, the monopolistic rights that are granted by the copyright statute cease to exist. So that, those limited rights of I'm the one who can create derivative works, I'm the, I'm the one who can uh, to reprint the work, I can sell copies of the work, all these different things, those, those vanish in terms of the monopoly. And then anyone else is entitled to go along and do it. So if you have a novel like Frankenstein that enters the public domain, you can say, hey, I'm going to slavishly reproduce it and just, I'm going to type it out again and put out a new edition of the book itself. That's fine. Under, it's in the public domain. Hey, I'm going to create a movie based on that. That's fine. It's in the public domain. Or I'm going to do a comic book. So first, Universal comes along and does movies movies about Frankenstein, with with the flat top and the bolts in the neck and the the little scars and everything, and and they produce those movies. And then, maybe 10 or 15 years later, someone says, hey, I want to do something with... I'm going to do a comic book based on Frankenstein. And I draw a Frankenstein that has a flat top and the bolts in the neck and the scars because that's how Frankenstein looks, right? I mean, I read the book, I saw the movie, that's how Frankenstein (laughs) looks. So the thing people they also take into account is, yes, the copyright in the original novel is in the public domain. I can reprint, reproduce, create derivative works based on that novel. But to the extent that someone has added elements that are themselves either copyrightable or trademarkable, that's separate and apart from the public domain element of the the copyright in the strips. So for example, if you had done uh, Issue one of the uncensored mouse, and you would put right on the front one of the one of the you can see them on the back, one of these Mickey mouse drawings. So let's say we've just taken any one of those without the text, just the image, and put it on the front, and you'd say, wait, that strips public domain. I can reproduce that. Yes, you absolutely can under copyright. But under trademark law, Disney retains trademark rights in the image of uh, Mickey Mouse, and as a result, your use of it in any capacity that could be arguably branding of your product gives this affiliation, association, or other uh, uh, elements that the trademark owner can then turn around and say, no, you're confusing the public into believing that this is authentic, official, uh, licensed, authorized publication, when in fact we've never done that, you must stop it. So, the use of a totally black cover, that's brilliant, right? There's no, there's no intisha. You use the uncensored mouse, okay, well what does, what does that mean? Well, anyone in the comics and comic strip field was going to say, hmm, mouse, I wonder, I wonder which mouse, and the, what's the most famous mouse? Uh, usually the first thing people think about is Mickey Mouse. So, it, it kind of gives you the suggestion of Mickey, Mickey Mouse without stating it. Uh, and so you look at that and it's like, well, oh, that's that's kind of a brilliant approach.
2: Unfortunately.
0: Unfortunately. Um, well, that was 100% intentional, right? Right, oh, yeah, we no, argued we, over what we, we should we, call we, 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 we knew we couldn't use Mickey Mouse in any way, shape, or form. We knew a bunch of other stuff um, that you couldn't use anything that smelled of Mickey Mouse to sell it, and a cover is considered a sales document, as much as people like to think otherwise. So that's why we made sure that it was completely black, and even the little box there that sort of gives you more information about what's inside says Floyd Godforson, the guy who drew the strip, but it does not say Mickey Mouse anywhere.
3: Yeah, although people who... Floyd would also know where it is. It, it, right, point, Floyd, Disney-
0: Floyd's only really famous for drawing Mickey
3: Mouse. Right, right. And, and the official Disney Comics whoever had it in rights at that point, I believe, were running Floyd Robertson material and labeling as such.
1: Sure, but the, the absence of Disney or Mickey Mouse That's from the front cover, brilliant. But So my question to you guys is, okay, well, why does the back cover happen?
0: Mickey Mouse on
1: it. Wait, if this brilliant idea is it's black and you don't know what's
0: inside, then that's easy. And I think it still doesn't say Mickey Mouse anywhere. Although no, it does, but come it does. on. <laughs> All right. Now look at the images on the back. You
1: don't have to say
0: hey, anything. Hey, Michael, we
1: put it in the bag so you couldn't look at the insides. Except, except, <laughs> except was the back cover yeah. I mean, was, was there any concern at the time?
2: Apparently, apparently not. <laughs> I remember us arguing about it, but I think we had a legal opinion that said that it was
0: worth it and we were concerned right. that people would The back cover it. wasn't considered a sales. Yeah. I yeah. And, and the back cover, cover. would be
3: solicitations and such, which the back cover wouldn't, so that maybe it was more of a sales...
0: So we were—we were
2: that, we were that the, we wouldn't
3: do. Like, the, the, the solicitation
0: for the books. Right. When we solicited it for sale, we would not have never shown the back cover. Right. Yeah.
1: Right. And when you walk into a so, yeah, and this becomes the difficulty when you walk into a comic book store, the, the way they're going to be wrapped is with the front cover. Right. Um, I, my only concern would have been okay, but there's going to be store owners who sit there and say, "Well, this isn't going to help sales. Right. Uh, why don't I sell it this way?" Um, so uh, I don't Fair know. Amount. I would have given them quite the same. But, Sh- should have called you. But, that, <laughs> but that's not. But they didn't. They didn't come after you because you didn't get a letter from Disney that says we have a problem with your back
0: cover. No. <laughs> right. So no. Uh, in the grand scheme of things, it wouldn't have made really any well, difference. that sort of. The, that's always been the question. Like what. What more could we have done to make sure that we stayed off? What more
1: could you have done to stay off
0: their radar screen? Well, the, well, the radar screen we were going to hit that regardless, so we expected a letter. But um, the one thing we could have done was not print the one strip in the two books that actually hadn't fallen into public domain yet. Yeah, it was an error. One strip out of two issues of the of the comic, Bill Blackbird got wrong, and that was their major legal standing point that kept them, the, us from continuing. The truth is we probably wouldn't have continued because they would have thrown but, a, an the, army of lawyers at us. They would have done anything. Right? But they also didn't like they didn't want this to drag on. They didn't want to spend a lot of money on it. They also didn't want it to be tested. Right. So they wanted this to go away quickly and quietly. So they just, we it, it, the settlement ended up being, and it wasn't a judgment settlement, it was like two lawyers just negotiating Was that we would not sell them anymore. We would recall all the ones that had been set out. Of course, the minute you put out a recall, they disappear from comic book shelves in a heartbeat, right? Because everybody thought they were collectible. And instead, you're right, instead they go behind
1: the counter. Yeah, yeah, right. The minute
0: you you recalled them, they all sold like hotcakes. So it had the reverse effect. We should have recalled everything. But we should should have recalled all of our comics. Exactly right. We I don't know. We should have called ourselves "Recall Comics." That would have be been awesome. Um, Total Recall Comics. It'll be perfect. That's right. Um, and and uh, so we never had to pay them any money. We just had to recall them from the shelves and not make any more. And we ended up, I think, at the end of the day, the bookkeeping on it was ten thousand bucks or something for the two issues, which you know kept the doors on, the lights open, and paid a little payroll. So, so you
1: got It pretty much did what we
0: wanted it to do, except we, we wish we could have done it for a little longer. So you got, you got the season's assist letter. Yep. It had a monetary demand. Um, I don't think so. I don't remember, I don't, I don't remember asking that. for money. Oh, yeah. No, they never. Just had to... Nearly stopped. Yeah. They stopped. do yes. yeah. Right. Yeah. Please, please don't let you know. Please don't publicize this anymore. Yeah. Or Perhaps you're not don't aware. Don't tell anyone.
1: Perhaps you're not aware that we don't want this to be out there in the public. <laughs> please yeah. stop putting this out there in the public. Yeah. That's good. that's fascinating.
0: All right. So then I just I just wanted to show when I showed the back covers, it was hard to read the copy. But once again, there's no mention of Mickey Mouse or Disney anywhere in that copy. And then here we ran for an inside front cover in Disha, If that makes any difference, I you, you tell me, Michael. You're the um, well. Once you once, once you've
1: purchased the product, and you're already in there. The the arguments of. Uh, of, of trademark use diminished substantially. Right. Because really, as you pointed out, it's the cover that most people see and identify as the branding. Um, so, so in terms of fair use elements, uh, on the copyright side, you're in good stead unless that image of Mickey came from the one strip that wasn't right.
2: <laughs> I mean, we, we do call out that Mickey Mouse is a registered trademark on the Indie
1: which is, which is appropriate and yeah, yeah, yeah. proper. Yep,
2: Mickey Mouse is registered. So that, I think that's one of the reasons we could put it on the back cover, too, is because we did call it out. Yeah, maybe.
1: Yeah. So you gave, you gave appropriate attribution and notice to the rest of the world that yeah. it's yeah. that is protected. We did a lot of stuff right. No, absolutely. And we
0: still, you
1: know, That's <laughs> and And look, that's that's something that happens a lot in, in, in the legal world, is... People can, can take all of the, the right steps and the right approaches, and especially when you're dealing with things which are, are they or aren't they legal? So, I'm right. hey, going to do a parody, and, and, and this parody is going to be about X, Y, and Z. And you go to a lawyer, and the lawyer gets to tell you, yes, you have a great parody defense. But, but you have to remember that when someone says you have a great parody defense the implication there is if you're defending yourself from something you're creating billable i i a lot to creating billable hours is
3: that what you are saying? absolutely <laughs> yeah. which i encourage wholeheartedly. all of my clients who can afford so but if you had not made a mistake on the one strip, it's still likely that Disney would have gone after you
0: i could i say that even if we would have been completely in the right and, and, and that one errant strip hadn't been in there, I think it still would have gone down exactly the way it went down.
3: Absolutely, yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Sometimes yeah, and, I mean,
0: that's your opinion too, right? Based on yeah. facts at hand? Yeah, yeah.
3: I mean, I, I, I'm very careful with what I publish as public domain is in the public domain. I don't think I publish as public domain, a lot of it's licensed. But, um, even so, it's rarely would be worth it for me to go up against anybody
0: who's willing to Bring a lawyer to it, right? Yeah, more than one lawyer for sure. Yeah, yeah, And Disney, yeah,
3: Disney has they, they a few lawyers,
0: they got a few lawyers. So, anyway, <laughs> this is this is some of the reasons why um people speculated that Disney wanted didn't want it to be um. And somebody talked, somebody said something to me once that the nature of the strips themselves because they were so racist was the reason they didn't get renewed. But I don't think that makes any sense. That makes well, the debate is just it, it, Well,
1: it does. No. So the the race the racist nature of the strips to me makes no it, it, it shouldn't impact on the renewal or non-renewal. Yeah that's board. what I that's what I'm talking about. You would think. Particularly because if I'm Disney and I don't want those out and about and for people want control to see. Them. I want control of them. I want that monopoly that I had to continue. So if anything, I would want to renew the copyright and make sure that I have total control over what happens with them. Um, but that, I don't know that everyone was thinking that way at that time.
2: I'll bet they were just forgotten.
1: Because, exactly. Right. It's like, what, what are the more things f- that Republican are making us money, and and what yeah. you know, what are we worried about, and let's maintain those, and anything else, who cares? Why are we right. worrying about it? Yeah, uh, yeah. Nobody's going to bother stealing something that's
3: not worthwhile. Why spend the money to protect it? I think is right. right. Yeah. It's not like it's not like there, was, there would be the Tribune
1: Syndicate that would come along and say, "Hey, you stopped you you." You, you stop and the copyright, we want to now print those in our amongst our other comic strips. Tribune's not going to do that because who's, who's going to take that risk? Who's, who's going to t- have that worry involved? So from one perspective, it's we're not using it. Why bother? Just let it go. Um, it's not making any money for us. It's not something that's on our radar in any way, shape, or form.
2: Yeah, just let, it,
1: just yeah. let it lapse. Who
0: cares? I, I, I'm convinced that they thought that it was protected. It's just, it's when slipped. the lawyers first contacted us, I'm sure they, they thought it was. They might found out it, it wasn't. And it no, was. I had
1: a, and I had a similar issue for one client that involved like the Terry and the Pirate strips. Right. And there was a there was a period after which uh, the, the the strips of, had entered the public domain and. And the syndicate's position was no, no. These have been renewed until they did further research, and then they came back that it was inconclusive as to whether or not <laughs> it had been renewed or not. But nonetheless, and look, and then you have these back and forth, you have these discussions, you have these uh, these investigations. And, you know, thirty thousand dollars later, you're still trying to figure out uh, what the two sides want to do about it. And and if you if you pocketed ten thousand off the the issues, well. Well, that was kind of a waste to have the back and forth at that point, so much easier just to say this was fun, yep. it was an interesting experiment, uh, we got this stuff back out there for fans to see and it's, you know, I, I bought these off of eBay just a few weeks ago and now, they're, you, they're well, there. What, what did you pay for them? Do you remember? Uh, I have the slip in there. price, but, probably? Yeah, each. I think I might have paid five bucks
0: each. Okay. nothing. But, yeah, nothing outrageous. I, that's, and, right. that's worth shipping. I right. mean, and and you got to figure out inflation too, I mean... Yeah, it was two fifty in eighteen nineteen eighty nine. But someone who's interested in this stuff, you, you get to see it.
1: But look, Disney is known for burying yeah. some of these things. Yep. And um, this is when's, the, when's the last time anyone saw Song of the South?
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: Which, believe it or not, is available in Europe. You, if you're in Europe, you can find it and you can watch it. It's just in the U.S. where it's really been like buried. And they never put it on
0: DVD, despite or anything. Splash Mountain being
1: themed, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Around yeah. yeah.
0: The, uh, and, and the, these strips that I'm showing here are just like a couple that I found that seemed particularly challenging, yeah. but the whole book isn't like that. It's Mickey flying around in a biplane, it's, you know, all sorts of wacky it's stuff. Yeah, it's just, it's just just wacky strip adventures that were, like Jim Quirkus said, pretty typical of comic strips in the 30s and 40s.
1: Yeah, and I remember growing up watching Tom and Jerry cartoons with that's the large black southern woman who, mm-hmm. you only
0: see her legs right, yeah, 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 and the, and the, and the, the and, apron and the apron, right, right, right. You see the legs and the apron right. yeah. but again, it's like,
1: where where have those gone you know, when, if they're insensitive they're insensitive, and you know, things change, which is a cool thing so what does this what, example say about publishing public domain comics Dave?
0: Um, be extra careful <laughs> um, know the rules in terms of if you're gonna, um, I mean, like I said, we did so many things right, as Michael pointed out, in terms of not infringing on their trademark, um, so be aware of exactly the rules of the game you're playing, um, I think is the most important thing, and then, obviously, check all your boxes to make sure your public stuff you're actually printing is all in the public domain, but...
1: Now, here's an interesting question that I have for you, because at the time, this probably wasn't so prevalent, so something you might not have thought about, but did you have insurance? Did you have the liability, errors and omissions insurance that would be sufficient to cover what they commonly refer to as advertising injury? Yes. <laughs> yes, we did.
2: What, Chris? No. Something. You cleared your throat. <laughs> I heard it all the way over here.
0: I was, I was trying to remember and I was going to say, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 know there were, I, I know that we had the insurance, but I think knowing Scott, we probably had a huge deductible.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but in terms of in terms of being ultra careful, that's one of the things that people don't necessarily think about. You can right. be ultra careful yeah. about researching it and finding that one strip that wasn't supposed to be in there and and managing to take it out. Um, but but sometimes it's business preparation yeah. in addition that that can be helpful.
0: Yeah, errors and omissions insurance is. Not fun. I mean, there's no, no, no aspect of it that's fun. Uh, you just feel like you're paying for nothing all the time. But.
1: Absolutely, but in those few times when something happens, it's nice to be able to say, "Hey, yeah. the insurance company will pay for the attorney to defend this." Right. We can kind of step back and not worry, I and mean, keep going with issues three and four and five and six, and maybe build up a little more of a war chest. And so,
0: yeah, I, I think the attorney's bill on this was paid for partly by our our insurance, frankly. Oh, that's good. If, I, if memory serves, but. We yeah. we we didn't. We, I don't even know. Yeah, we probably went through the whole deductible, but not much more. But we had we were we were covered. Well, what other
1: what other things? Uh, what other takeaways? Did you, do you have to be careful who you choose that you're whose public domain material you're using? Well, yeah. I, that, if, I mean, the you, more, the,
0: more the, the trademark, more, the more dead and the more broke they are, the more likely you can go ahead and grab up their stuff. Is yeah, sort yeah. of, Unfortunately, the rule. Oh, yeah, uh, <laughs> Why, well, he... well, I'm
3: just thinking of one example I dealt with recently where uh, I spent a lot of last year reprinting nun cartoon booklets from the 1950s.
0: And he didn't say he was publishing. He said he was publishing nun cartoons. He means cartoons uh, nuns. ladies dressed as penguins. Cartoons. Yes, uh, Those yeah. kinds of nuns.
3: Uh, uh, by the way, I'll be talking about that in this room on Sunday at 4 p.m. <laughs> <laughs> Alive was a lawyer. So, what I did was I contacted him before I published, told him I thought it was in the public domain, and that I was going to publish on that basis, and I was going to be respectful and all that. And therefore, I gave him a chance to react beforehand either to let me know that he's going to sue me regardless, in which case I would have actually backed off, or to work it out for himself and not have an immediate reaction when he saw his father's work being exploited that there was somebody to, to come after. yeah. And I, I, that, was just, I mean, that was me being caught right. in that
0: way. Hey Chris, do you remember when we were having our discussion about deciding whether to go forward with this? Because I know that we definitely had table discussions where we went, okay do we ask permission and get some executive somewhere that holds us up just because he can or do we publish it and then ask for forgiveness later
2: we definitely had that conversation right and I, I, think it, I think nine times out of ten unfortunately if
0: you if you've got your eyes dotted and your T's crossed it's better to publish it and ask for, ask for forgiveness after the fact that it is to try to get permission because you can grow very very old and very very broke waiting for some doofus to give you permission yeah
1: hell your ears can turn white i
2: well, oh, yeah. oh, sorry, sorry, Jamie, sorry. Also, in this case, we knew that Disney didn't want these strips out there. Right, that's true. And so, you know, if we asked them for permission, they would have said no.
3: Yeah, right, and, and you're doing something on a scale where you could handle a cease and desisting. If you've been making a $40 million animated film based on these strips... Right, you probably
0: wouldn't have to go down that road, yeah. Yeah. All right, right fair enough. Yeah,
1: I don't think your insurance company would like you get far enough along. <laughs>
3: no, um, but
1: yeah, but that's, it's a good point, because sometimes... Uh, Asking permission gets you nowhere, or or you get told no. if you get told no, but you still think you're right, and decide to move forward anyway. Now you're in a, now you're going right to defend of. yourself. And that's right. what
2: we—that's exactly what we came to. So Wait a
1: minute! You did this intentionally. You
2: now I now, already told you no. Now right. in the copyright statute, and the copyright statute, is, has
1: this lovely little little thing that that's called uh, uh, the damages clause has has statutory damages. And it could be that you came, you came and printed this book, and you know your total da- your total profits were, let's say, fifteen hundred dollars on one issue, one, and uh, the, the, you get sued and under the copyright statute. Well, the copyright statute says a minimum of seven hundred and fifty dollars up to, um, oh God, uh, why am I blanking? Jay, what's the what's the the non uh, the, the the cap for copyright infringement prior to intentional? <laughs> It's 750 up to, uh, 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 anyway, uh, God, 50000 And then, but it can, it, it, when it's intentional, it becomes 100, up, up to $150,000. Um, so, so suddenly it starts getting expensive if it's intentional because you were told no. Right. Whereas sure. if you hadn't been told no, then at least you get to say, oh, I did it innocently. Yeah. I, I had no idea. could have uh, never anticipated
0: this. Oh, <laughs> could never have guessed.
1: But, <laughs> it was accidental. Look, we had how many strips were in the, the two issues, and you had one out of. Right.
0: And, and of each, each strip took up a third of a page. So you're talking about a third of a page in a 40 page book and and then and another 32 page book.
1: Right. So you probably had a couple hundred strips in there, yeah. of, uh, of which there was one. And, and, and if you're in front of a judge and say uh, intentional versus non intentional, that's a pretty good position to be able to say that, look, it was completely unintentional research, we did things we did, gosh, we missed one that was awful, we'll never do it again, we'll never reprint that issue again, but now we're yeah. going to go on our way, sure. But if you've asked, tried to ask permission and they say, no, you are their um, then you're, yeah, you're, you're opening up a bigger Pandora's box. Hey,
0: Ned, I've got a question. Uh-oh. Is, how would, if somebody in the audience wanted to publish stuff that's in the public domain... Is there a registry that they can refer to and, like, go to and, like, oh, I want that one and that one and that one? Is there a a menu somewhere they can just, of stuff they can start hoovering up? And do you do that?
3: Well, what what, what I do is when I see something that I think might be in the public domain, uh, which is largely stuff published before 1963 when it it needed renewal, uh, I go to copyright.gov. And at copyright.gov, they've got a computerized database of all the registrations including renewals from 1978 on. And you can do a search for that particular item and see whether it was renewed. Uh, but you do want to go back uh, and see if you check the original, they, they put out books every year of the copyright. And those have all been scanned now and are available online. I don't, unfortunately, have address that for you right at the moment. But uh, even Google Books can search those for you. And then you can check the original registration see what name it was registered under. You um, get the right registration year because it may have been within a, a year of when it was actually published, and then you can know what, uh, what, what years to look at the renewal for.
0: Okay, but that's, yeah, that, that's, so, that's a great answer. That's awesome. Thank you. Yeah,
3: yeah. So really, things from after 1950, you just by going to copyright.gov. Uh, you would be able to find the renewal or not. Would it be better to have a
1: lawyer do that, Michael? Well, the, one of the nice things about having a lawyer do that is, is there's the the database is still being updated and still being worked out on, and uh, a lot of the copyright office continues to work through all of these old records in, that are in card catalogs. So, if you go down to the to the copyright office, you can actually search by hand going through all the card catalogs yep. and everything, which is. Which is a great deal of fun, although now there are large chunks of drawers missing because they're being taken to the database room to input the data in, so you have these gaps anyway. But uh, having having an attorney do it or or a service do it um, sometimes will will be more beneficial for a couple of reasons. One, they're going to undertake some of that by hand uh, searching that needs to be done, that may need to be done. Uh, but also because, from a liability perspective, you've got the imprimatur of whoever did the search for you saying, hey, this, this is the search that was done, and you get to put that in your files and so say, some people are
0: certifying it at some right? In essence. But
3: if you are thinking about doing that, go to copyright.gov, do the search, because then if you find the registration there, you don't have to hire somebody absolutely. to do it. Absolutely. No, <laughs> <Yeah>. no, absolutely. <laughs> they, they, they're, they may be better at proving there is no registration. But like you can disprove that often with a very quick the, check. And that, and that is
1: absolutely correct. And that is, that, that is the first thing you should do. Is why, why pay someone else to do what you can do in 30 seconds by going to, to the database uh, page and, and, and doing yeah. that quick search. But exactly, when you when you find nothing, that's not the point where you say, "Ooh, I can do it whatever I want now. <laughs> that's the point where you say, OK, it looks like it's clear, but I should probably double check it with someone who who can verify this for me? Oh, and because it was bugging the crap out of me, uh, statutory damages seven hundred and fifty dollars up to thirty thousand dollars, and and if it's intentional, that that cap goes up to one hundred and fifty thousand dollars. That stuff just runs around the back of
0: your brain. No, I like Google it. Oh, you Google it. Okay, good. So, it was, it was driving me nuts. I had to look it up. You got um, that stuck in your hard drive? That would have been amazing. <laughs> yes. Chris, that. I have a question for you about public domain characters. Yes. If you were to decide that you wanted to resurrect a public domain character, what what would be the first three or four criteria you'd use to decide that this old thing might be a good new thing? That's a great question. Thank um, you. <laughs> and I know it's the way you think about stuff, so I'm well, glad to
2: play to your strengths. We actually did that at Malibu for the Centaur uh, characters. Oh, for the Protectors. Right, right. and we re- 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 renamed them the Protectors, and we brought some of them characters, we actually changed the names, some of the characters, we kept the names the yep. same. Um, we tried to modernize and create sort of a new world around some of those characters, which weren't really in a, in a common universe back then either. They Right, characters yeah. Just, that were yeah, they're standing they're just, alone. Yeah. So I, I think... I think the way to think about it is, is there anything relevant about these characters now in terms of their, their core? You know, uh, like if you compare the Golden Age Flash to the Silver Age Flash, is there something there that you can put a new stamp on, it but still keep the powers or keep the, some aspects of that original character? Right. And there were some really cool ones, you know. So that's, that's why we decided to do it with the Protectors. And that's how we'd think about anything else that we'd do from right. scratch.
1: So you're saying the. the the original characters that the protections were based on were in the public domain. Yes,
2: yes, they were public when they were originally published. Uh, in the, I believe, in the forties. Yeah, those were from the nineteen forties. There may have been some that yeah, were as late as like the late thirties. Yeah, yeah, there was some of the earliest. Uh, our, our publishing.
0: See, you know, like the horse with, like a horse human. I've got, got
3: a question. When. You released uncensored Yeah. What did you do about distribution to foreign countries where the mouth
0: Mickey Mouse strips might not have been in the public domain? Um, we, because we didn't solicit them internationally, we just gave them to the Diamond to do it as they pleased, that didn't turn out to be an issue, believe it or not. Huh. It um, might have though. It, yeah, it, yeah. It, it might have been if it had gone further for sure. And I remember having a discussion with Diamond about whether they wanted to send them to Diamond UK, because mm, right. Diamond UK was distributing the two. Not just like the very first fi- fan letter we ever got. I don't know if Chris remembers this. The very first fan letter we got from any publishing Malibu ever did was a fan letter from Germany. Before anybody in America ever said we love Malibu comics, some guy from Germany actually got a letter to us. About how much you loved Dark Wolf? It was Dark Wolf. I yeah. thought it was Libby Ellis and Priscilla Star. Yeah, it was Dark Wolf.
2: Yeah, so it's—you it's,
0: it's it's kind of, it's, never know what the reach, you know, yeah. never, never know what your reach is until you start putting stuff into the world. And were yeah. those uh, reprints
1: books? reprint books? That? No, that was uh, that, that was, was original. Dark original. Wolf was a new,
0: was a new original thing. But okay. um,
1: interesting, because the people here don't realize, people in the U.S. don't realize to to the degree that the comic book form is really idolized outside the U.S. Um, in, in, in France, when they do the uh, Angoulême Festival, it's paid for by the Ministry of Culture. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's, considered, it's considered real and legitimate uh, form of, of, uh, of publishing and entertainment, uh, not just kiddie books or funny books, like my grandmother used to call them, um, having no value or, or, or social relevance. Uh, so it doesn't surprise me that your first letter came from Germany. Because uh, of the love outside the U.S.
0: But yeah, we did have a discussion, Matt, about whether we were going to send it to Diamond UK or not. I don't know. Does anybody have any questions? I don't want to. I don't want to get deep into the weeds on this. But um, right, here, Mr. Right, I'm thinking like Marvel with
4: Daredevil and and some of these things that were out
5: there, and suddenly, suddenly now they are trademarked in the modern. How do you drag that back into the ball? So, so
1: this is the this is the interesting thing when we talk about the dichotomy between copyrights and trademarks. Yeah, it's only so, trademarks. So you trademarks. can you can have an old character uh, like like the, the daredevil from the forties, I think it was. Um, and you, and in terms of the copyright, the copyright lasts for whatever the term of copyright is. So from that era it would have been twenty-eight years, plus an additional twenty-eight for, for the extension, possibly extended beyond that with the burn. Uh, with, with the Byrne legislation that came through in uh, in, in the late uh, late '80s, uh, I think it was '89, which extended it to life plus seventy. Uh, or for pre published works published prior to '78, it would have been uh, ninety five years from publication. So in the '40s, you're still good, uh, you're still covered. But those copyrights continue to exist. But trademarks only exist as long as they're being used commercially. So if the, the Daredevil comic from the 40s stops publication later in the 40s or early in the 50s and then isn't used, well, the trademark lapses. And, and once the trademark lapses, it would be available for anyone else to, to adopt and, and move forward with.
2: And that's what happened with Captain Marvel,
0: right? Exactly. Exactly. So, and, and we did that too. Um, I mean, a long time ago, DC published this really cool comic called Strange Sports Stories. And then they let it go fallow for I don't know five six ten years or whatever. We're like we like that title, so we we published our own strange sports stories books. I mean, they didn't use any of their stories; we used our own stories, so we were cool with copyright. But we could use the name because DC wasn't using it anymore. And I think it's two years, right?
1: Uh, Well, so three three, three years of uh, of uh, a three-year lapse in use is prima facie evidence of abandonment. Um, but there, you, what has to be demonstrated is that it was abandoned with no intention to, to resume use. Right. So in the case of you know whoever was publishing Daredevil, if the company goes out of business, right. uh, it's pretty easy to say that there's no intention to resume use. In the case of D.C., that's a little harder. Right, uh, Mr. Seedman. Yeah. Um, Good to see you, David, by
5: the way. Hi, Hi. Some of the guys up there know me. Uh, my name David Seedman, and I wanted to give a different perspective because I was, at the time, uh, an editor at Disney Comics, when they were publishing their own comic books. I was the editor of Mickey mouse Adventures comic books. And when I heard about this, my first thought is, oh my God, they're going to get eaten alive. And then my next thought was, but I really want to see these scripts. We <laughs> did Congratulations and thank you. Uh, You're welcome. But don't since I don't work for the Disney Company anymore, I can say that. Um, and I just wanted to give the you know the inside view, which and, and I wasn't the only one there. All of us, you have to understand, all of us working within Disney were not, we were not all, you know, corporate types and attorneys. We were writers and artists and, and people who loved cartoons and comics and Knew about it, then, uh One of the artists in our department you know, right next to ours was still using Floyd Godfrey's own drawing desk. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's, it was like, God, I hope these guys don't get hurt too badly because I like what they're doing. <laughs> and I didn't say that around the company too loudly. I didn't want to get in trouble. So, anyway, I uh, just wanted to give another perspective.
0: Thank you, David. That was great. Yeah.
5: Maybe it sort of depends on
0: how many senators they can buy, because they might need to have create new legislation to because they keep don't they am I, am I getting that wrong? Well, they keep well, sort of extending to, the, help, the, help, the, to help the big corporations the, 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 keep that stuff not on the PD, right? The, 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 there are all
1: kinds of theories and conspiracy theories about how you know the the big corporations are going to try to get Congress to keep these uh, copyrights going forever and ever and. You know, I, I had one of those weird thoughts when we had the Citizens United case come down, which basically right. says, hey, a corporation is a person and can can do certain things like a person. I'm like, well, let's look at the copyright statute. The copyright statute says life plus 70. Well, if a corporation can be a person, right. do we measure the corporation's life and then add 70, in which case, you know, these things would never expire because, and, or would only expire once the corporation is... Dead and gone for 70 years. Right. So uh, um, you, you can you can imagine all kinds of, of scenarios where where these things could be extended. But the reality is everyone everyone got then out of shape when when we went to life plus 50. And then th- what was pointed out was, but that's what, what the rest of the world had done. Every every other civilized country's copyright laws had copyright protection that was life plus 50, except those who had life plus 70. And then under the Berne Convention. Everybody else got uh, under this life plus 70, and that's where things have stayed. There has been no movement there. That sounds, so I pretty, think it's, that sounds pretty
0: equitable to yeah, me. I don't I think know.
1: That's that's, that's, for me, I think it's fairly unlikely that there's going to be any further extension of the copyright
3: term. Right, things actually slipped into the US public domain this year on January 1st for the first time in quite a while. Right, right, because um, of that. So, so the, the corporations, if they were planning to keep protecting everything, they,
0: they failed. So, right. yeah. I mean, it would have happened by now. So the answer is, in the future, you're going to get plain black DVDs or plain black advertisements for um, a mouse on a boat, and you're going to open it up, and it's going to be Steamboat Willie. Now, the interesting thing is, and I don't know if people have noticed this, but if you go
1: to an animated Disney movie these days, and you look at the beginning, the, the little opening credit is a few seconds of Steamboat Willie whistling and, and steering the ship. Now, that few seconds of film has become a trademark for the Disney Corporation right. to be used in connection with these oh, films. To cut so, this,
0: because, Trust me, trademarks, that was intentional, ladies, because trademarks
1: go on forever, as long as they're being used, the, then the question is going to be, well, if someone starts doing these reproductions of Steamboat Willie, is there going to be a trademark claim of any kind? That might arise out of it, uh, or if they start making derivative works using that version of Mickey right. Mouse, the right. Willy Willie version, can Disney now say, okay, maybe under copyright you're okay, but now there's a trademark issue because right. people
0: associate that look. We put that in. We put a black bar across your eyes. Exactly. We got one last thing, I think we gotta go, right? Where's my.
5: Knowing when you went down,
3: would you have done? at that time? Yeah.
0: Three minutes. Three minutes. Oh, sorry. Either no. Way. <laughs> Knowing
3: what you know now, would you have printed more than just the two issues at the time?
0: No, I don't think so. No, well, that seemed about right. I mean, but because we didn't want to over. Because I think at some point the retailers would have just gone, oh, I've only got so many customers, they're just going to buy what they're going to buy. And if they have to buy all four of them, they'll only buy two of them anyway or whatever. I think it would have hurt the overall sales and we'd have ended up. Having bigger printer bills and selling the same number of copies. Yeah, yeah. You would have printed more copies. If I, if knowing, I, knowing knowing you were going
1: to get a season's assist letter, and
0: suddenly everybody
1: would want to buy them.
0: Sure, absolutely. <laughs> You're kidding? Me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mostly, most, mostly, I, I don't, I don't know how many more I would have printed, but I would have made sure I didn't have any in my warehouse. Yeah. I'd have made sure I shipped them all the Diamond. Yes, yeah, since uh, Mickey Mouse started off. I think you could, do, I think you could, I mean, I think, I mean, Michael could correct me, but I think you could do Mortimer Mouse now as long as you didn't look anything like Mickey Mouse. Does that make any sense? Like, yeah, the name Mortimer Mouse I don't think is covered by anything. I think, I think what happens
1: there is you get, you get, uh, uh, you, you could come on both, I could come down on both sides of that argument and say, right. Superman from 1939 and Superman today kind of look different. But it's the same character. Okay, yeah. well, Mortimer Mouse, it might look a little different, but it was the progression. Uh, I could see making that argument. But on the trademark side, if they're not using Mortimer Mouse and haven't used Mortimer Mouse for a long time, then someone else could come along and say, hey, I want to do a mouse book. Uh, I want to do an anthropomorphic mouse that named Mortimer who gets into Wacky Adventures. I think it would be hard for Disney to, to then say, hey, well, that's a trademark
0: infringement. Yeah, I think so, too. One last one. Sorry. Sorry, everyone. Getting
2: back to Captain Marvel for
5: a second, my impression was that National or
0: B.C. had sued the Correct. Based on the fact that Captain Marvel was a ripoff of Superman. Correct. And yep. the decision was, okay, here's the settlement. In 25 years, you get to own Captain Marvel. No, no. Oh, no, no. This not come uh, and then what happened
3: was another publisher came out with a Captain marvel titled book.
1: Uh, uh, which uh, company would that be? Hmm. That
3: uh, has Marvel in uh, that No, no, company. no, before that. Oh, really? Yeah. Right. <laughs> There's a marvel, Captain Marvel that threw his limbs apart with SAM. Oh, and right, was I forgot like, that for you. Yes. With that company, both Marvel and DC rolling, Marvel came out with their, their Captain Marvel as soon as they could after that to protect the trade, Marvel trademark. Uh, supposedly Jack Kirby told DC, you know, you're the only guys who can publish the original Suzanne Captain Marvel, you're the only guys who can license it because anybody else licensing it, you sue them. But you can do this. So D C licensed Captain Marvel for a long time and then after a while purchased it outright. That's my understanding. Okay.
0: Thank you everyone.
5: <laughs>